Good morning. Would you turn to Psalm 141? Psalm 141. So we're going to be all over the board today, but our main text is Genesis chapter 5. We're going to be looking at Enoch's exit, a very intriguing chapter in the Bible. But before we go there, I want to do a little bit of prep about worship. This is Psalm 141. And if you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time for the reading of the Word of God. If you're physically able to do so, grab your Bible, Psalm 141. This is a Psalm of David. It says, O Lord, I call upon thee, listen to me, or hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to thee. Psalm 141, verse 2. May my prayer be counted as incense before thee. The lifting up of my hands is the evening offering. Now, this is interesting because many of us have seen this verse before, but you may not have put it in the context of worship. It says, set a guard, Psalm 141, verse 3, O Lord, over my mouth. (laughs) Yeah. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I think what David is saying is, when I worship, Lord, I want my worship to be pleasing, and what I say, and even how I say it, guard my mouth. You know, in the church culture right now, I could preach a whole message on this psalm, but in the church culture, we are pandering to people and making it about consumerism. When we come here, it's about God. It's about his honor. It's about how we can please him. Now, I know we all like to be... I cut out there for a second. I know we all like the temperature right I know we all like a comfy seat and hopefully a reasonably close parking space. I know we all have certain expectations about music choices and styles and levels of sound, but let's be careful that we don't come into this place and become the ultimate critic instead of one who wants to please our Father. It says, do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let the righteous smite me. Wow, what a prayer. In kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon the head. Do not let my head refuse it, for still my prayer is against their wicked deeds. David's even saying, if a righteous man needs to come along and correct me, Lord, I'm ready, because I want to walk in your ways. Their judges are thrown down by the sides of the rock, and they hear my words, for they are pleasant. As when one plows and breaks open the earth, our bones have been scattered at the mouth of Sheol. For my eyes are toward thee, O God, the Lord. In thee I take refuge. Do not leave me defenseless. Keep me from the jaws of the trap which they have set for me, and from the snares of those who do iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. May the Lord bless the reading of his word as I know he already has and may you seal it in our hearts. You can be seated. Turn to Genesis chapter five, if you would. Hold a place in both Hebrews 11 and the book of Jude if you wanna just kind of get a head start on where we'll be headed. Genesis five, Enoch's exit So last week we were together and we looked at the song of Lamech and we looked at the line of Cain and we saw that it was a pretty wicked line. In fact, it culminated in the song of Lamech and he sang a song to his two wives. He was a polygamous man. He was already disobeying God 
And he called his wives in and he said, I killed a man for wounding me. And uh, then he even adds a boy, you know, and I, I compared that to the song, I Shot the Sheriff, but I did not shoot the deputy. All that self-defense stuff. But, he, but there was a glorification of violence in the line of Cain, and we shouldn't be surprised because Cain set the precedent by killing Abel. Instead of looking at his own heart, he killed his brother, and that act of violence was really an act against God because God was not pleased with his sacrifice. Therefore, he became angry, and God said, hey, sin is crouching at the door, Cain. You must master it, but he did not. He let his anger get the best of him. He took it out on his brother. He killed him, and all of a sudden, he was a marked man. Uh, If we got the slides up there, would you guys go to the second slide? Hopefully, they can hear my voice. Now, this is what I was telling you about, the, the word oat. I was telling you that it's possible, since the word for sign or the mark that was on Cain could have been that actual word. We don't know for sure. And I was trying to explain it to you, but there's nothing like a visual. What you have is you have the Aleph. It looks like an A kind of turned on its side. You have a, a letter, Hebrew letter in the, in the middle, which is the Vav. It looks like a nail. And then you have the Tav, which is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which looks in the ancient picture language like a cross. And it literally could be rendered this way, the beginning, first letter, and the middle letter could be an and, and the end, that points to God. Or it could read this way, the leader, the A turned on its side, is the head or the leader, nailed, the Vav looks like a nail, to the cross. That's the word I was trying to show you or explain to you. I don't know if that's what Cain bore on his head, but he was a marked man. And if that was the mark, it should have been a reminder of him to him of God's grace. But Cain's story does not end well. And many people have taken the Cain train. And the Cain train is a defiance against God. I will not walk in faith. I will not trust God. I will do things my way. And so in Genesis 4, we saw the line of Cain, and we saw what happens, and this isn't necessarily the case in every generation, but uh, previous generations do affect future generations, and you can stop that cycle if you've come from major dysfunction or unbelief or atheism or whatever else, but there's an important aspect I just want to drive home for a second, and it's simply this. As parents and grandparents, we have a responsibility, and this is all over the Old Testament, to pass on the faith to our children and grandchildren. If you go back and read Deuteronomy 6, it is just littered with exhortations to parents and grandparents to surround their lives around the word of God and pass it on to the next generation. Now as we move into chapter 5, we're going to see the line of Seth. Even though there was a dark line in the line of Cain, the line of Seth brings hope, and his name means dedicated, and he replaced um, Abel who had died. And we're gonna read a genealogy, and I'm gonna quickly highlight names for you, and I would encourage you to write in your Bible. It's okay to write in your Bible, and I'm gonna tell you what the names mean, and we'll move through this quickly. And when we come to the end, I'm gonna show you something that shouldn't surprise us, but it is an incredible 
reality that's right here in Genesis 5. There's a message kind of underneath what we read here, which I'll show you in a moment. Now this, Genesis 5.1, is the book of the generations of Adam, Genesis 5.1. Adam's name means man. You might want to just write that down. Adam means man. In the day when God created man, this is kind of a summary now, he made him in the likeness of God. He created, Genesis 5, to them male and female, and he blessed uh, them and named them man, or mankind, in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, and I don't know why this took so long, I don't know if God closed Eve's uh, womb for a while while they grieved the death of Abel, or if other children were born in the interim that are not mentioned here, but... When Adam had lived 130 years, and that's quite a long time, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and he named him Seth, which technically means appointed. Seth equals appointed. So you got Adam, it means man. Seth means appointed. Then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years. Long lifespans. How do we explain that? It may be that There was a water canopy over the earth protecting mankind from ultraviolet rays. Or it may just be that God decided that he would allow long life in the beginning and then lifespans seem to kind of curtail and go down as time goes on. But notice Adam, the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth, and this is a pattern we're gonna see over and over again in this genealogy, were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters, mark that, So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and here's a key phrase, and he died. You're going to see this over and over again in Genesis 5. The reality of the curse comes to fruition. In the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Now, God's grace allowed uh, physical life to be extended, but they spiritually died in the garden. We talked about that in a previous message. And now the reality of death comes. The first man whom God breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life now dies. We see Adam's obituary. What a sad moment. What a sad reality that over and over again in the world, here's the testimony, and he died, and she died, and he died, and it continues to happen, and worldwide statistics are almost two people dying every second in the world. And about three, my understanding, are born every second. So population continues to go up, but people are born and they die and the cycle goes on and on and on and people throw up their arms, philosophies and religions and say, is there any answer to this terrible dilemma of humanity? We're all headed towards the grave. But there's going to be a man in Genesis chapter 5 who escapes death. And even in a chapter where it's going to say over and over again, and he died, and he died, and he died, there's going to be a man who does not die. And that man will become a symbol of hope of a future time when there will be a generation that does not die. I wonder what the courts of heaven were like the day that Adam died I don't want to push this too far, but I do see passages in Scripture where God has feelings. And I wonder in the courts of heaven what it was like the day that Adam died. 
I mean, think about it. This is God's special creation. This is the first one that he made. This is the one he breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life. This is the one he walked with in the garden in the cool of the day. And now he's dead. I mean, that's a sad moment. And death is uh, no respecter of persons. It, it levels the playing field. It doesn't matter if you're a president, a pastor, an athlete, an actor. We all die. The word for death in Hebrew is moot. It's transliterated into English, M-O-O-T. It's the end. And this is the, the train that mankind is now headed down. Death is now a reality. Now we continue in verse six, and Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. Enosh's name means mortal or frail. You might want to write that down. Enosh means mortal or frail. Then Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh, and he had other sons and daughters. So we're, we're getting a 10-generation list. Some people believe there are gaps in these genealogies. Others say there's no reason to believe that there's gaps there. Some believe that the, just the head of the generation is being named. Others believe, no, there was 10 in all, and these 10 are it. If these 10 are it, the chronology of years from creation to the flood is 1,656 years from creation to the flood. There are some who hold that view. There are others who hold. There are gaps in the genealogy, so we don't have the literal years here, and there are others who are arguing uh, even not for literal days in Genesis 1 and 2, which we've been over. But here you have Seth now, and he becomes the father of Enosh. So all the days, verse 8, of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And Enosh lived 90 years and became the father of Kenan. Kenan's name means sorrow. It can also mean dirge or elegy. But Kenan, just right next to his name, sorrow. Then Enosh lived 815 years and he became the father of Kenan and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. And Kenan lived 70 years and he became the father of Mahalalel. Then Kenan lived 840 years after he became the father of Mahalalel, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Kenan were 910 years. Here it is again, and he died. And Mahalalel, his name means the blessed God, or just write in your Bible, blessed God, lived 65 years and became the father of Jared. So you have uh, Kenan's son uh, Mahalalel from Mahalal, which means bless or praise with the E-L ending. That's the name of God. So the blessed God or God be praised. That's how the names work. 16. Then Mahalalel lived 830 years after he became the father of Jared and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. And Jared, his name means shall come down. Write that in your Bible shall come down, that's Jared, lived 162 years, and he became the father of Enoch. Mahalalel's son was named Jared from the verb yarad, meaning shall come down, as I mentioned. Then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch, and he had other sons and daughters, verse 20. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, here it is again, and he died. And Enoch, mark his name, his name means teaching, dedication or commencement. You might want to just write, write teaching slash dedication. 
And Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Now we're starting to get to some names that you recognize. Here's Enoch born. He's not the same Enoch that was born to Cain of, from, of whom he named a city for. And Enoch becomes the father of Methuselah. I want you to notice in verse 21, he lives 65 years and then he becomes the father of Methuselah. And then it says, then Enoch walked with God. It would appear, as we park here for a moment, that Enoch lived 65 years without walking with God. Then a child was born, his name Methuselah. He will live the longest life recorded in the Bible. Then he walked with God. I just want to give you an application point. Have you had a turning point in your life where maybe you didn't walk with God for a number of years and something happened in your life to change your course? I can tell you this, when I was about 20, I heard the gospel, I responded to the gospel, but I really mark a turning point in my life at the, at the birth of our firstborn, Shane. Now, most of you know my family and, and our history, but some of you don't. He's the kid that's up here on the piano. And when he was born, my life changed. I was already a Christian, but I got more serious about my walk with Jesus Christ. And... Uh, all of a sudden, I, I realized I had much more responsibility than just about myself and even, you know, just about my wife. Now it was about a child. And I realized that that child was going to follow my example. He was going to look to me. And I had had enough disappointment in my own past. I had had a father leave me when I was four and call me one time in about 30 years, called me on the phone one time. And I did not want to leave that trail for my children. And so I really planted my flag by God's grace and it wasn't without struggle that I was gonna live for Jesus Christ and I was gonna set a tone and God's now blessed me with three wonderful sons that are all walking with Jesus Christ and it's, and it's God's grace. But notice in verse 22 it says, then Enoch, after he lived 65 years, walked, the, we, the Hebrew word is yalak, with God, and he walked with God 300 years. How long have you been walking with God? Well, I don't think anybody can beat Enoch here, right? And he, after he became the father of Methuselah, so this repetition is like after, and he had other sons and daughters. And here's the testimony regarding Enoch. He walked with God. Are you... Whenever you read the Bible, you cannot sit as a spectator. I've been telling you that even the Hebrew perspective on the scriptures is you always have to put yourself in the story. Whenever something is being read, you can't sit there as an audience and just say, well, that, gee, that's nice. Well, gee, that's interesting. No, you've got to put yourself there. When questions emerge from the text, you have to ask yourself the question, are you walking with God? What was your turning point? Do you need to go back and revisit that? For some of you, the turning point was the death of a loved one. You walked into a memorial service. You were faced with the reality of your own mortality. And even though it's hard to lose a loved one, maybe that's the moment that you decided, you know what? I better figure out what's gonna happen after my heart stops beating this side of this planet. Because if there is something beyond this Existence, if there is an eternity to inherit and a place called heaven and a place called hell, I better know where I'm going. So few people think about eternity. 
yet we say we believe it. Statistics in the U.S. say people still believe in the God of the Bible, still believe the Bible is God's word. Well, then, hello. But the devil has us distracted. And Enoch walked with God. And the question is, and I'm asking myself, am I? Are you? Are you walking with the Lord? The word walk is yalak. It speaks of a path. It means to go, to walk, or to come. It speaks of a way, a way in which you are walking and to whom you are walking to or with whom you are walking. I read a testimony from a man recently. He said he was going to church but living his own way. Is that you? You come to church but once you leave the doors, you go your own way? A walk is about a way. Jesus said, I am the way. Walk this way. This is the way. Walk in it. This is what every Christian is faced with. Which way am I walking? What's my direction? I'm not talking about perfection, but I am talking about direction. Amen? None of us are going to be perfect. We all know that. But it is about a direction. And some of you have been on this vicious cycle. You just keep going around and around and around. Same old sins, same old problems, same old struggles. How about you take the off-ramp? Amen? Look, I, I've been confronted with stuff like this many, many times, and I love to pass it on to other Christians so you can share in my pain. That was a joke. That's not my goal. Which way are you moving? That's what a walk is about. Are you spending time in spirit-to-spirit communication with God? You know, when we hear a walk, we all know it. That's Christian terminology, right? Yeah, how's your walk, man? You walking with the Lord? <laughs> I had a reputation in our previous church. I would ask people how their walk was. And then people started running from me. They didn't want to be asked that question. How's your walk, bro? Oh, here he comes. You're going to probably ask me that question, right? But how's your walk? What's the direction looking like these days? So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. This is verse 24, Genesis 5. And here it's repeated. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. What? He was walking with the Lord, And all of a sudden, he was gone. God took him. Now, why would God take him? Everybody turn to Hebrews 11. That's in your New Testament. Hebrews 11. Why did God take Enoch? Let me just make an obvious point. If there's no afterlife to inherit, if there's no bliss in heaven, if to be absent from the body is not to be present with the Lord, but we know it is, then there's no reason for a man walking with God to be taken to heaven. If all he's got is his earthly existence, then he should live as long as possible. Here's my point. Enoch walked with God and God took him because apparently God said, this is about as close as we're gonna get in this earthly sphere, so come on up here, Enoch. Let's have some tea. I don't know if he said that, but you know what I'm saying. There was a preacher some years ago, he was a southern preacher, he traveled around and he had a near-death experience. He went in for one of these operations where they open up the, the vein or the artery to your heart. And he was awake during the operation, which totally freaks me out. But anyway, so they went up his thigh in the operation and they were opening up an artery. 
And the doctor said to him, oh no, or something like that. And he was awake, so that's not good news. <laughs> so it's go- the doctor said, it's gone wrong. It's gone wrong. And bam, this pastor was somewhere else. He said he found himself walking in a place with Jesus that was as real to him as all of you are in this room. He said, he said, all of a sudden I was translated and he said, I was walking with Jesus just like I had walked with him my whole life. And then he said, and then people prayed me back. <laughs> he said, I can't believe it. He said, well, I was walking and talking, but just about to get started and bam, I was back in my body. Now this is a pastor telling this story. I'd just take him at face value. Well, Enoch was walking with God and God took him. Look at Hebrews 11. This is the great hall of faith chronicling many different uh, heroes of the faith. Here Enoch is mentioned. It says, by faith Enoch was taken up. The word taken up is meta. Uh, I won't even try to pronounce it. (laughs) But it means to transfer or to transport. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death Here's a man in a genealogy where it says, and he died, and he died, and he died. And someone reading this or someone experiencing this might say, jeez, is this, is this it? We live and we die. And then all of a sudden, there's a man that shows up. He walks with God, and he doesn't die. And we have to ask a question. Well, what's going on here? Well, Enoch was transported that he should not see death, and he was not found, which seems to imply people were looking for him, which is kind of a crack up. Hey, anybody seen Enoch today? I don't know, I checked the closet, I checked the, the barn, <laughs> he's nowhere to be found. Enoch was gone. And notice it says he was not found because God took him up, same Greek word, he transported him, for he obtained the witness that before he was taken up, he was what? He was pleasing to God. And without faith, It is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him, or the New King James, I think, says, who diligently seek him. What do we know about Enoch? What's the lesson? What can we learn? Enoch walked by faith. He pleased God, and he sought God. And it is possible for you to do all of those things today. Because Enoch was a man just like you. He was not sinless. He was not perfect. But he made a decision. And apparently he made it after the birth of Methuselah. And the decision he made was to walk with God. But here's another interesting fact. Methuselah, according to many scholars, his name means his death will bring it. You might want to write that down. Methuselah ties to the the word, the root word for death, which is moot, Methuselah, his death shall bring it. Bring what, you might ask? Well, in Jewish literature, in wisdom literature, the the word goes like this. Enoch got a prophecy that when that son, Methuselah, died, the flood was coming. Now, you might ask, well, was it just the, the birth of a child that turned his life around? I think that's enough. But apparently he got a prophecy too, Enoch did. And the prophecy was when Methuselah dies, I'm bringing a cataclysmic judgment. Would that change your life? 
If your child's life and death was tied to a flood, would you straighten up? I hope so. Could you imagine if Methuselah was playing in a tree? Hey, Dad, Methuselah's up in the tree. No! We're not ready. <laughs> I would be a kid you'd really want to take care of. Make sure he ate his vegetables. All that stuff. You know what I'm saying? So Methuselah's name becomes a prophecy. And in fact, when you chronicle the years, the flood came in the year of Methuselah's death. Now, you want to talk about a reason to change? You want to talk about some motivation to live a godly life? The Bible says, we who have this hope of the second coming purify ourselves just as he is pure. 1 John 3, 3. Peter says, since all these things are going to be destroyed in this way, 2 Peter 3, 11, what kind of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? 2 Peter 3, 11. Peter says, this stuff's gonna burn. And now we're looking forward to a second coming, and we know what that means. It means a judgment of the wicked and a rescue of the righteous. And some of us believe prophetically that that could be in our lifetime. We don't know for sure, but we sure see some interesting signs. And Jesus says, just as it was in the days of Noah, and Noah's gonna be the next character on our list, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. He says it in Luke 17. He says it in Matthew 24. The world conditions how people are living and what they're doing is going to be similar at his second coming as it was back in the day before the flood. And even the ark becomes a symbol of hope as Noah and his three sons and their wives are rescued. You see, when you start looking at what's at stake, you start asking big, bigger questions about your walk. I'm gonna take you to just a few parallel passages. If you wanna turn with me, you can. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. If you wanna just listen and you're not quite there with your Bible books yet, Colossians 2, 6 and 7, just listen to it. Paul writing to the Colossian church says, as therefore you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, Colossians 2, 6, so walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. If you want to have a good walk, get your roots deep. Get the word of God deep into your heart. Don't spend time on things that are nonsense and a waste of time. In fact, the next verse Paul's going to say, don't be captivated by earthly philosophies and so-called wisdom because they're a waste of time. If you look at Galatians, just go back a little bit more towards the gospel. Gospels, Galatians 5.16, it says this. Galatians 5.16, it says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. You want to know how not to give into your flesh? Galatians 5.16 tells you, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of your flesh. Does your flesh have desires? Of course it does. And they're not, typically, not in keeping with God. Galatians 5.25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Turn to Ephesians, just one book to the right, Ephesians 2. Look at verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10. 
It says, we are his, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, Ephesians 2.10, that we should, what? Walk in them. And then look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Ephesians 4, verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How's your walk? How can two walk together unless they be agreed? So who you walk with and how you walk is so huge. Now this prophecy I had mentioned in the book of Jude all the way before the book of Revelation. Uh, Go there if you would, Jude and then Revelation. I want to show you this prophecy. It's actually recorded in an apocryphal book in probably the first century before Christ. But the prophecy goes way back and it's not inspired scripture but it is quoted by a New Testament writer. It was known at the time and here's what it says. This is Jude verse 14. And about these also Enoch, Jude verse 14. By the way, I just want to park here for a second. I do this to you on purpose. I could put the scriptures up on the screen but I don't want to do that and I'll tell you why. I want you to get used to navigating your Bible. And, you know, I think it's so valuable to learn this way. I want to just park for a second because some of you may be struggling with this. And I want to tell you that when I was in uh, church some years ago, I didn't know all the books of the Bible. I didn't learn that song in Sunday school. So when the preacher would say to turn to a book, sometimes I would act like I knew where it was. You know, and the person next to me would go right to that book. And I would be going, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to check this book out first. And then I'll, then I'll be over there. What, what page number are you on? It's all right. We're all learning. Here's a reality about your walk. Every child's got to learn how to walk. Right? It, and when, when a child walks, isn't that a huge moment? They're like a drunken sailor in that. <laughs> got to keep the camera with them. You're hoping that they don't go down. By the time the, you know, you're, you're padding everything. By the time the third one comes, you just say, just let them fall. It's not, not a big <laughs> Then you're, how many of you had this? Kids walk around with a huge goose egg on their head all the time. Learning how to walk, huh? Yeah. <laughs> And some of you are like that. You walk into places and you got a huge bump on your head and somebody says to you, learn how to walk. Yeah. It's all right, we all got to learn. That's why you're here, I hope. This is a place for people who are in process. It's all right. You can come here just as you are. Amen? We're all learning. So here's the prophecy. And it says about these, and in the context, it's false teachers. Enoch, in the seventh generation, he was the seventh of the ten listed in Genesis 5, from Adam prophesied, saying, he was apparently a preacher as well, behold, the Lord came, or he is coming, with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all, to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him that is against God. Back to Genesis 5 and we'll finish. Here's the point. There was a prophecy given to Enoch tied to the name of his son Methuselah but also tied to the condition of the world, the line of Cain, 
all the violence, all the stuff. And here's what it was. The Lord's going to come. And apparently Enoch's uh, prophecy, a very old prophecy, was about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because it's recorded in the book of Jude as something that is going to happen. And Enoch walked with God. And his life was changed. And then he was taken. Enoch exited stage left. Do you know, all of us are going to make an exit one day. The question is, where are you going to end up when you make that exit? Well, Enoch was walking with God, so we know where he ended up. God took him, apparently took him to his side. There's only one other man that we know of in the Old Testament scriptures where this happened, and it was about 2,500 years later, and his name was Elijah. And Elijah was training Elisha, and uh, a fiery chariot, chariot showed up, and Elisha went up in the whirlwind, and he was taken. And in Revelation 11, this is an interesting side note, two witnesses show up in the last days, in the end times, and they're doing these incredible miracles. Nobody can kill them. In fact, one of them has fire come out of his mouth whenever he wants fire to come out to consume his adversaries. Now, that would be a cool power to have. You want to talk about holy halitosis, Batman. I mean, this is it. Somebody gets a little cross with you. <laughs> Woo! I'm not sure how popular you'd be, but if anybody's having problems, they'd probably invite you along. <laughs> power. And people, people say, well, it's appointed unto a man once to die and then comes the judgment, so the people who appear in, in Revelation 11 must be Enoch and Elijah because they never died and they're going to die there after they prophesy for three and a half years. That's interesting. But I think the message is not only about that, but it is to us. There is a generation coming that's going to experience what we call the rapture. And Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We are not all going to sleep. We're not all going to die. But we're going to be changed in a moment at the twinkling of an eye in a split second. And this mortal will put on immortality. There's going to be a generation prefigured by Enoch and even Elijah that will not die. They will be Translated, They will be transported. They will be metamorphosized into resurrection bodies. And it will happen at the coming of Jesus Christ. You can read later, 1 Corinthians 15. I think it's 20 through 23. And 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58. And there, this is a foretaste. There's a generation that's not gonna die. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, he will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Do you believe that? And the apostle said, speaking for many people, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, and no one is coming to the Father except through me. We're in Genesis 5. <clears throat> Isn't it amazing what the Bible reveals? Enoch walks with God. 
He has this child, it changes his life, and now let's just move down in the text, Genesis 5, 28, and Lamech lived 182 years. Lamech's name means despairing. He lived 182 years, he became the father of a son. Now he called his name Noah. Noah's gonna become the center of what's ahead for us in the next chapter. Noah's name, Lamech's name means despairing, write it down. Noah's name means rest or comfort. Rest or comfort. Notice this explanation saying, this one, that's Noah, shall give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands. Notice this, arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. We might just ask an upfront question. How did Noah bring people rest? Hmm, we'll dig that out next time. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah. He had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech, interestingly enough, were 777 years, and here it is again. And he died, and Noah was 500 years old, and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, which will also become the center of what's ahead. Noah's life will become a message. He will get into an ark, and judgment will come. This is the list of names, 10 generations of pre-flood patriarchs from the line of Seth. And it culminates in Noah's name, which means rest. I'm gonna credit Chuck Missler with the next slide, if you guys can put it up there for me. Um, This is the combination of names in the genealogy that uh, now comes to the surface. And it's from Hebrew to English. I hope you can read it. Adam's name means man, Seth appointed, Enosh mortal, Canaan sorrow, Mahalalel, the blessed God, Jared shall come down. Enoch means teaching, Methuselah, his death shall bring, Lamech, the despairing, and Noah means rest or comfort. You put it all together, here's how it reads. Man appointed mortal sorrow, the blessed God shall come down, teaching, his death shall bring the despairing rest or comfort. Uh, wow like is that cool or what and even in a chapter where it says over and over again and he died and he died and he died God says that's not the end of the story death will be defeated in the resurrection and Jesus said because I live you will live also Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it again. And he did it. In the very history in which we are embedded, my brothers and sisters, he rose from the dead. He was clinically dead, and he is alive again. And he still saves. And if you will cry out to him and jump on the Jesus train instead of the Cain train, you will find your ticket's been punched by the blood of the lamb. And then he will radically save you and change your direction. He'll make you a new creation in Christ Jesus. He'll show you things that you've never known before. He'll rescue you from the laws of sin and death. But not only that, not only will he give you a ticket to the best place of all, but he'll show you a life now that's worth living. You know, Uh, When I was younger, I had a lot of trinkets. I was making some good money in my early 20s. I was a a good athlete and pursuing a baseball career and all that stuff. 
but there were many times when I would come to the end of a week or a party and I would look in the mirror and there was a gnawing emptiness in my soul. And I would try to fill it with all these different things. And there, here's where all my friends are going. Here's what everybody else is doing. Everybody else is smiling and laughing and having a good time. But I would go home and I would look at my face in the mirror and I would say, I'm a fraud because I'm empty on the inside. And I heard a message of hope about a God who loves me and cares about me and will take me and to places I've never known and give me gifts and use me for the glory of his kingdom, for something that will last beyond the temporal and all the stuff that's going on. And I have to tell you that if you're gonna walk with him, you're gonna be the exception. You all realize that? If you wanna be serious about your walk with Jesus, you're gonna be swimming against the tide, but that's all right, because where is the tide taking most people anyway? Chuck Smith used to say, Any dead fish can float downstream. All you have to do is lay there. It takes a healthy one to swim against the tide. You may be saying, well, I'm struggling with that, Pastor Michael. To swim against the tide is hard, I know. But you're not alone. And you have a power from Almighty God, but it starts with trusting him and knowing him. Do you know him? That's my question. If you know him, get closer to him. Because he wants to know you better. And he wants, he already knows you the best he can, but he wants you to know him better. Would you pray with me, Father? Just thank you for this message. Thank you for the rich beauty of the scriptures. There's no one who could ever convince us that this is not inspired. I mean, what an incredible truth that in the name of these 10 generations, we see a message of the gospel. It's just as though you were saying, if, if what's on the surface is not enough, dig a little deeper and I'll show you more. And what we discover, Lord, in Scripture is so amazing. This book is divine. It changes lives because it's breathed out by you. It's about you. If your head and heart bowed, if you don't know Jesus Christ, today can be your day. But you must come to him just as you are, but you must turn from your sins. The Bible calls that repentance. It means do a 180. You've been going your own direction. Now walk towards God through his son, Jesus. You must believe that he died on the cross for you and rose from the dead. And you must be born again of the Holy Spirit. So if it's you with your heart and head bowed, this is a prayer of opening your heart to him. And it's something like this. It doesn't have to be perfect. But if it's your desire to know him, pray it out loud and settle it today. Jesus, cry out to him. Come into my life. Thank you that you died on the cross for me and rose from the dead. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I want to know you and I want to walk with you. Please forgive me of my sin. Thank you for paying for it in full at the cross. Make me your child. Let this day be a turning point like it was for Enoch when Methuselah was born. Maybe you're a wayward believer and you've been a prodigal. I would cry out to him right now and just say, Lord, I want to get back on track with my walk with you. Lord, help those who are crying out of their sincere uh, hearts who just realize where they are and they know that they need help and they're, they're here for a reason. May you touch and minister. May you strengthen those who are crying out to you. May you extend your hand to heal 
those who are brokenhearted or struggling with sins that so easily entangle them. We all struggle, Lord, but thank you that you're faithful. May your living waters flow over this congregation. We're so excited about what you're doing in our midst, so grateful. And I pray that as this last song is sung, you'll just do a healing work in all of our hearts, that you'll empower us for the week ahead. Make us witnesses. Make us like an Enoch or a Noah in our generation to know we're never walking alone when we walk with you. Let us give a witness to what we say we believe. Let our witness be aligned with that. Not in perfection, but in a direction of a walk with you. We just want to say we love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Would you stand?